Judges chapter 6 and verse 28. If you found it today and, and you are able to stand, if you could stand to your feet, we'll read a few verses this morning. We'll go through many more as we go throughout the message, but just a few verses to get us started. The Bible says in verse number 28, And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Josiah said unto all that stood by against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. And our title today for the message comes out of verse number 31. Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death. And really the title of my message is simple. Let Baal defend himself. Let Baal defend himself. And let's pray and then you may be seated. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. It certainly is good to be in your house today. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of your dear people. Lord, on a cold day, they got up and got ready and came to church. They love you, Lord. And they came to worship you. Thank you for the time we've had together with the music or the choir and the orchestra. Lord, uh, thank you for the classes and the adult connection group time. And Lord, thank you for all the children's ministries working right now and those laboring in the nursery so that we can be here. Lord, thank you for, Lord, so many opportunities, Lord, that's going on right now of people hearing the truth of your word and all those who are serving in the bus ministry and all that. Thank you for those who are tuning in online that couldn't be here today. May they know they're loved and appreciated and cared for. Lord, thank you for all those who are greeting people and serving each other. I pray that we'll have a great, great day today. But Lord, may you minister to us through your word today. And Lord, may you give us what we need. Lord, help me to clear my mind. And Lord, may you fill me with your Holy Spirit power. Or may I say exactly what you'd have to say, not a word more or less. We sure do love you. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, There's a story about a lady named Mrs. Smart, and she was sitting in church one day while the offering was going around. And she was fumbling in her purse uh, for her tithe a check, and as she did it, uh, uh, something clanked on the floor, and the usher stopped to help her pick it up, and realized it was a large TV remote. And he said, "Mrs. Smart, what on earth did you bring a TV remote to church for? Do you usually do that?" And she said, "No, but my husband refused to come with me this morning, and I figured this was the most evil thing I could do to him legally." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, if we hear anything clanging today, we'll just assume you did the same thing. No, but we come to our next story in Gideon and uh, Judges chapter number six. We've seen how the Lord was blessing the children of Israel. He had prospered them. He had prevailed them. He had made their enemies to perish. He had even brought peace 
for 40 years. But the children of Israel started losing their sights of God. And of course, we see in chapter 6, verse 1, that the children of Israel did evil. Now, that wasn't happening. I don't think it was a flip switch. I think it was a gradual thing. You see, the children of Israel were very uh, economically, uh, agriculturally focused. And they were all about uh, their crops and their cattle. And the greener the grass got and the more healthy the plants got, the more abundant their harvest would be and the more abundant their, their, their animals would be. And, and so perhaps maybe there were some lean years, we don't know. But for whatever reason, they started looking at other sources to help their crops or their animals be even healthier. And of course, we know Baal was the god of thunder and lightning. He was the storm god and he would provide uh, rain in their minds. Of course, that's what the Canaanites said. And so they started turning more and more toward that. And, and they, they, would, uh, they were looking for more prosperity. And they took their focus off of God and started focusing on uh, uh, Baal and, and upon uh, themselves and upon their own prosperity. And every time that happens, we'll start losing sight of God. But God has to do what his justice will show us and bring chastisement. And of course, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God says, okay, you want the God of Baal? Then we'll give you over to the people who worship Baal. And the Midianites came. They came uh, from all over. And of course, they got the Amalekites, which was the most powerful tribe in Canaan to come with them. And then the children of East, the Arabs, they'd come in on camels and they'd swoop in right when the crops were ready to be harvested. And they would just gather all the grain, all the animals, and they'd loot them to the point where the children of Israel had to leave their homes and go up in the mountains and go to the caves. And they would stay there out of fear. And this happened six years in a row. And on the seventh year after it happened, they finally got smart and cried out to God. They cried out to God and God, instead of bringing a deliverer, he brought a prophet. I brought a preacher who told them, look, we're glad you're regretful. We're even glad you're remorseful, but you need to be truly repentant. And as they were listening to the preacher and God was working on their heart, he started preparing a savior and that savior was Gideon. And of course, last week we talked about how Gideon was down in the wine press, which was like a tear, if you will, a duct. And he got down in there and he was, he was uh, uh, trying to get his wheat all thrashed and, and get to separate the husk from the hull. Normally you would do it on the top of a hill where a breeze would take the chaff away, but not Gideon. He was down there because of fear that the Midianites would take his food and perhaps maybe the fellow children of Israel would try to steal his food. And so he's working hard. He's sweating. It's hot. Uh, of course, we talked about being an agreement or a silo maybe. And we talked about last week how I used to have to shovel out that corn and, and our grain bin and, uh, and, and those, those dusty, dirty uh, times. And, and Gideon was probably hot and sweaty. And as he finally got out of that with that little bit of grain, he's disgusted with his people. He's disgusted with the Lord. He's disgusted with everything. And he's just frustrated with life. And he gets out there and he sees a man underneath a tree who said, thou mighty man of valor. Um, Gideon had no idea this was the Lord. But he starts arguing with this man and starts giving him some attitude and says, I am not a mighty man of valor. I'm the least of my tribe and I would never be able to help save Israel. And God started working on him and he prepares a meal, Gideon does. And God takes a staff and after he pours the broth on it, he touches that meal and it bursts into flames and it gets consumed. Gideon says, alas, you must be my Lord and my God. And so he prepares an altar for him and he sacrifices a bullock to him. And God says, thank you for that. I appreciate you acknowledging me as God. Now I have a job for you to do. 
I want you to go and strike down the altar and strike down the grove. Of course, the grove was for Ashtaroth. That was the uh, queen of heaven and uh, the fertility uh, god. And, and she was often uh, carved out of trees. And they would worship not only the altar of Baal, but they'd also worship their groves. And every morning they'd go out there. And Gideon went, uh, instead of during the day, when, when God wanted him to go, and he wanted to go at night where he could secretly do it, and he cut down the tree, he tore down the, 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 the altar and uh, we see the next morning the men came up the men of the city the Bible says in verse 28 came to to, to, to altar uh, of Baal and tried to offer some up and they saw it was all torn down and then its place was an altar that was given to God and it was still smoldering and they knew somebody had did this and so they inquired of it. And that's kind of where we are today in our text. And so number one, if you see, I want us to see four different things that Gideon uh, experienced that I believe each and every one of us experienced from time to time. And so, first of all, if you're writing, I want us to see the diplomacy of Gideon, the diplomacy of Gideon. And I want us to see God's protection during this time. And really, the thought process between, between, behind diplomacy is simply this. Gideon was riding the fence. He was starting to really trust God, but he also was scared of and fear of man. And he wasn't quite sure which way he was going to go. And the Bible says in verse number 28, And when the men of the city, this is perhaps a remnant of the Canaanite population, this could even be, uh, different Jews that rose to influence and power. And here they are uh, coming forward there. And uh, the Bible says they rose early in the morning. Behold, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. They arose early in the morning. This was the habits of Orientals to, to sacrifice to their God. And as they get there with the rising sun, they observe three things. The demolished altar of Baal. They, they see the cut down grove, if you will, of Ashroth. And they see a new altar being built. And they respond in verse number 29. And they say, and they said one to another, who had done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, had done this thing. Some believe the serpent servants couldn't keep a secret. They may have told their wife, may have told their kids, and it slowly started seeping out. Some say maybe because Gideon was such a fearful man, but had done such a such a, an amazing feat, he stood out above and beyond the the, the 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 simple people there. We don't know exactly what, but I do know this: when you just do right, and you're not trying to cause a scene. You're not trying to make a statement. When you just do right, sometimes it causes you to stand way above the crowd. And just be prepared. When you're a new Christian, if you're trying to do right and live your life for God, opposition will come. But just remember who's with you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And we see today Gideon is being accused of, the Bible says in verse number 30, Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. Gideon is just about ready to be killed for doing exactly what God told him to do. And it's interesting because his father comes to his aid. Now many people would say in our day and age, well of course, I mean, what dad wouldn't come to his son's aid? But back then that probably wasn't the case. Joash who was, of course, the high priest, his father, who had led his people away from altar to, to God and now offering their, their, their sacrifices to Baal, probably had already offered his oldest son to Baal. That's just what they did. 
And he had no problem with, with killing someone. If you cut down the altar of God, God said, whether, even if it's your son or brother, you have to kill them. And the same thing with pagan gods. So Joash wasn't necessarily standing up for his son here. But God used him to protect his son. And basically, he supposed that Baal, let Baal avenge his own insult. The Bible says in verse 31, And Joash said unto all that stood by him, stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while is yet mourning. If he be a god, though, Joash says, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. In other words, why don't we let Baal prove that he really is God? Because if the true God, this would have happened to him, he would have just cast down. Of course, you remember the spreading and Achan got eaten up by the earthquake. He knew, he knew the stories. And so perhaps maybe Joash was wondering, maybe, maybe I've had it wrong. Maybe I chose the wrong path. Maybe, just maybe Gideon truly has had an occurrence with God. Among idolaters, the sight of an act of open contempt for their idol often shakes their superstitious reverence. Perhaps maybe Joash was starting to get shaken a little bit. Oh no, maybe I've led my community. Maybe I've led my family astray. Maybe I've chosen the wrong God. Maybe, just maybe, I'm at fault for this. And Gideon, of course, as he hides behind his dad, his dad's starting to wonder, maybe, just maybe, his faith And this Baal God is being shook shook him. May I say this has been the case throughout history. There's a a time in 995 AD, uh, Olaf Tregavison took the throne of Norway. He reigned but for a few brief years. He was a fierce Viking raider, pagan. But something changed. By the end of his reign, he became a fierce proponent of Christianity. And what led to this change of many of, of himself and his constituents was when Olaf had the huge image of Odin destroyed. The high priest Kofi, he clad himself in armor and mounted on horseback, two things that were forbidden, forbidden for priests to do. He rode to the Saxon idols and hurled them down. All the people watched as this happened, thinking he would be stricken to death. But after those things were hurled down, the people watched in amazement that no thunder, no lightning followed. And everything went on as usual. And the story goes that after that happened, they all converted to Christianity. And it's interesting when false gods and rocks and wood will do nothing for you, you start realizing maybe, just maybe, There is a true God, a true creator. And I'm thankful today for parents that taught me the truth. You are thankful today for people who taught you the truth. And may I say there's people all over this world today that need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. And we see it interesting here that Joash sees something different. So what does he say in verse 32? Therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he hath thrown down his altar. That's not too bad of a nickname. Jerubbabel, why are you called that? Because he was bold enough to cast down the altar of Baal. Could you imagine the legend that's growing behind Gideon? Could you imagine people saying, wow, maybe we can follow him. Maybe, just maybe, we can. And 
really that's what happened. But before we get into that, I want to just bring some application today. That the men of the city inadvertently point to the central struggle, which continually repeats itself in Israel. The choice between following God's chosen deliverer and leader and the false gods of the surrounding nations. Look at this struggle that's going on. Do we follow God or do we follow, which is Gideon, his leadership, or do we follow Baal? And what should we do? Of course, their face smacked in the face. What should we choose? And may I say, you and I, like Joshua, have to choose you this day who you will serve. It happens on a daily basis, does it not? Now, you may not be threatened with your life by your choice, but every day you face choices, teenagers, young adults, Adults, we all face choices. Are we going to serve God today? Are we going to serve the flesh? Are we going to serve God today? Are we going to let Satan win again? Are we going to let that vice take over? Are we going to serve God today? Are we going to compromise? May I say, it's not easy, even for me. But we have to decide, choose you this day who you will serve. As Christians, we face this battle. And James writes to us, and James 4.4, the remedy, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We have to understand that if you're a friend with the world and friend with God, you're going to have struggle, internal struggle in your life. You must decide if you're going to be a friend of God or a friend of the world. You can't be both. Either you choose God or you choose yourself, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 John 2.15, John reminds us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you may be sitting there today saying, well, how do I get through this? How do I do this? I can't do this on my own. Even Paul says, I die daily. So we all struggle with this. So how do we combat that? Well, we must understand that there is victory in Christ. 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Do you realize this morning that when you struggle with sin... God wants to give you victory over that. But maybe you're here today in a web of sin and you do not know know God as your personal Savior. How do I get victory over sin if I don't even have God as my personal Savior? If I don't even have a relationship with Christ? Well, let me try to illustrate it this way. Years ago, there was a man who went to the IRS office in Oakland. He waited and waited and waited. And finally, he was escorted through a warrant of cubicles to the person that he was supposed to meet with, the agent. He told the agent exactly what happened. And the agent said, okay, I'll take your case and I'll be back in a little bit. The man said, 15 minutes went by, 30 minutes went by, 45 minutes, hour, two hours went by. And the man thought, surely they've forgotten me. Suddenly the agent came back. She handed me a sheet of paper and said simply, There, it's all done. It's settled. The man thought, well, at least one thing's done. Now I got to go to the next office or wherever they're going to send me. But honestly, he said, I didn't know what she meant. What she meant was that the whole process was settled. She turned the paper over and revealed the nine signatures she had acquired all the way up the IRS ladder. So the case was now closed and closed in my favor. And this is what he said. There in the midst of a warren of bureaucratic animosity and powerlessness, I encountered a person who became my advocate, who heard my appeal, and who took the initiative to do on my behalf 
what I could never have done for myself. She met me at a moment of isolation and fear and set me out with a resolution when I anticipated nothing but delay. Maybe you can resonate with that today. I'm not saying you're in trouble with the IRS, but I am saying maybe your sin is keeping you from Jesus. Maybe you don't know where to start. Maybe you're a mess. Now, you wouldn't admit it, and we wouldn't point that out, but maybe in your mind, in your heart, you know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't have the answers, you don't know the truth, and you're searching, and maybe you think that you have to get signatures here and there, and maybe you have to do good works, and maybe you have to give some money, and maybe you have to maybe uh, do something nice for someone, and, and help someone on the side of the street who's, 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 who's begging for money, and maybe you have to do all that, and maybe, just maybe one day, you'll, you'll, you'll be good enough to go to heaven. And you're trying, and you're searching, and you're going everywhere. But Jesus says, hey, look, I've already done all that for you. You say, Pastor Justin, how do you know that's possible? The Bible says in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not, don't sin. Oh, that's too bad, Jesus. I already have. So how am I not supposed to sin if I've already done it? Well, he says, if any man sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Now that's a great word, which means he wants to be the substitute for our sins. In other words, he wants to take your sins and mine, no matter how massive they are, no matter how complex they are, no matter how suffocating they are to you, no matter how frustrating they are to you, no matter how much in bondage you are to him, he wants to take all of them on himself. You say, well, how did he do that? Well, years ago, the Bible says that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the wages of your sin and mine was keeping you from God. But Jesus Christ was willing to die on the cross to pay for your sin and mine. He was willing to be the substitute. And the Bible says there in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You say, well, that's good for you, Pastor Justin. You're a preacher. Surely God would do that for you. No, no, no. Jesus did that for every single person in the world. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. Do you realize your sin was sending you to hell? The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short. The Bible says, for the wage of sin is death. Oh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know about you this morning. But do you realize that Jesus Christ went to the cross for you? You didn't ask him to. You may not even wanted him to. But he did it for you. And now it's your choice to accept that free gift of salvation. Maybe you've been saved. May I say, if you've done wrong, Jesus Christ wants wants you to confess your sins. He wants to forgive you again and again and again. By the way, those sins are gone as far as the east is from the west. May I say this morning, we see the diplomacy of Gideon. He was trying to pander to both sides. He was trying to follow the Lord, but he also didn't want to offend his father. And he, he wanted to do it secretly and at night. He wanted no one to know he did it. When in all reality, God wanted him to do it so that he could be glorified through Gideon. And so we see Gideon starts to get a, a, a name for himself. He becomes a living legend, if you will. And so we see when Gideon disperses the cry, people start to come. So first of all, we see the diplomacy Diplomacy of Gideon, but second of all, I want us to see the dispersion of Gideon. And I want us to see God's power. The Bible says in verse 33, Then the Midianites 
And all the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. We see their usual time of gathering to come to Canaan was now it's harvest time. The Bible says Gideon pitched in the valley of Jezreel. This is actually a good place to be. Uh, And he comes there and pitches them. And while he's there... He, of course, the people are starting to notice him. They're starting to think, wow, maybe, maybe there's something to Gideon. Maybe, maybe just, maybe we have a remedy. Maybe there's an answer. The Bible says, but the Spirit of the Lord in verse 34 came upon Gideon. Now Gideon gets empowered by God and he blew a trumpet. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about that uh, with Barak. Barak blew the trumpet and it was sounding out not only so that everybody would come. But it also meant to those Jewish people, when that horn is sounded, we are getting God's attention and we're telling God that, hey God, we want you on our side. We need your help. And so he cries out. I'm thankful today that God, the Holy Spirit, still wants to come upon us. In Luke 24, verse 49, the disciples were told they would be endued with power from on high. Galatians 3, 27, we have been baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. It's interesting to me that Gideon was empowered by God and God still wants to empower his children today. He has already obeyed in destroying Baal and now he's obeying to deliver his country. So what happens in verse 35? He sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. By the way, that's where he's from. And they come. He sends them to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. Remember Zebulun and Naphtali? Those are the two tribes that followed Barak and Deborah down into the jaws of death. And God miraculously set that storm and put them in disarray. Those chariots were worthless and God gave a great victory. And Zebulun and Naphtali did not forget that and they were ready again. But notice with me another word in there. The Bible says in Asher. Do you remember in Barak's time, Asher was too busy with the ships. They were too busy getting financial gain off Jabin and Sisera. But now they decide to go and help. There was a change of heart in their life. I just want to pause and say this. Maybe you have forsaken the Lord or maybe you haven't served him like you should or maybe you failed God in the past. But maybe God's tugging at your heart again. Will you be like Asher and not look back on that and say, well, I can never obey God now. But may you say, no matter how old you are, I want to be like Asher and I want to get back in the fight again. I'm willing to let God use me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. And we together can fulfill the mission of declaring and connecting and discipling and claiming this year. We all can get together and say, maybe I haven't served God in the past or maybe I have and I've taken a break, but let's get all in again. Let's be like Asher and let's get involved. Let's be like Zebulun and Naphtali. We've already, we've already fought before, but let's fight again. And let's keep on fighting in the battle of the Lord. We see the diplomacy, if you will. We see the dispersion of Gideon. But third of all, I want us to see this morning the doubt of Gideon. The doubt of Gideon. But we see God's patience. Can you imagine God uses you? You see your meal get burst up into flames. God, God miraculously saves your life by using your dad, the very person whose altar you destroyed. How ironic. And Gideon is watching as God's doing thing again. He blows a trumpet and 32,000 men come. He only sends messengers, messengers of four, four tribes. What if, if he would have sent them to all 12, he could have had as many as 96,000 people come, which was pretty close to Midianites 135,000. 
But only four tribes come because that's all he goes to. And he's sitting there thinking, okay, the Spirit of the Lord is here. God's already done some great things. Let's go! No, 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 no. He's, he's doubting. He's not sure. Have you ever been there before? God starts lining everything up. God starts opening doors. And now you're ready to take that step. It's... God, let me, are you sure about this? Let's pray about this. Let me pray a little more. And God says, you don't need to pray. Just go. I've already answered that prayer. And Gideon's ready. He's poised. He's ready to take him on. But because he doesn't go, and those men are ready, they're ready to go. Because he doesn't go, he questions God. And we see today that God is okay with that. And he's patient with him. We see the doubt of Gideon. Have you ever doubted before? Reminds me of the two spinister ladies who were in a foreign uh, train there in Great Britain. And the, the former foreign secretary, Lord Halifax, was with them. And they were in a train tunnel. And Lord Halifax thought he'd be a little funny. And while they were in that tunnel, he started kissing the back of his hand and making it loud as he could. It sounded like someone was kissing. And when he got through the tunnel and the utter darkness, they got through it and he got up. They got to their station. He rose, he lifted his hat, and in a gentlemanly way said, May I thank whichever one of you ladies I am indebted to for this charming incident in the tunnel. He then beat a hasty retreat, leaving the two spinister ladies glaring at each other. Now, neither of them had done anything, but he had created doubt between them. And Gideon is experiencing that doubt, and maybe you too experienced doubt in your service for the Lord. But you know what God wanted to show Gideon? That it's not going to be your human strength that wins this battle. It's going to be my power through your strength. And may I say this morning, it's never going to be our strength doing something great for God. We can try our hardest. But until we decide to get alone with God and say, God, I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to let you do it. Then and only then are we going to see great things accomplished for God. Because it's not for our glory. He will exalt us in due time. It's for his glory. And we are created to give glory to God. We see in verse number 37, he sets out a fleece. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor. He puts that fleece out. He says, he says, if everything's dry around it and the fleece is wet, I'll trust you. That next morning, he was able to wring a whole bottle, a bowl of water out of that fleece. He says, wait a minute here. That was too easy for you, God. I'm going to do something even more. And by the way, uh, if you look at that, the fleece actually was going to retain water. The wool retains water quicker than anything else. So then he decides, if everything else is wet and the wool is dry, then I'll know it's really you. And you know what God does? If you read the verses there, God does it. Aren't you thankful this morning that even though we doubt God, and even though we question God, and even though we're slow about things, God is still patient with us today. I think of me as a parent. I have young children trying to get them to ride that bike without training wheels on. Let's do it. And then they start, I got you. I won't let you fall, I promise. I'll be right here beside you. I don't know about you, Daddy. I don't know. But you know what? As they can trust me older and older, their faith grows in me, does it not? And you as well. And God was patient with Gideon, just like we're patient with our children. But you know what? There comes a time where we need to mature and grow up and just trust God. And we see that here where God says, all right, Gideon, I'm going to, you want to prove me? I'm going to, I'm going to prove you. May I say in Mark 9, 24, the Bible says, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Maybe you feel that way sometimes. 
But you know what God does? He points us to Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 1 verse 1, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Aren't you thankful today that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You can spend time with him. You can spend time in prayer. You can have sweet fellowship with him. And Jesus is still and the answering questions a uh, business for you and me as well. And so we see, last of all, not only the diplomacy of Gideon, he had to choose. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve man? What if you fear both? Who are you really going to fear, God or man? And then we see the dispersion of Gideon and how we see God's power. And then we see that doubt of Gideon and God shows his patience. And then last of all, I want us to see the dependence of Gideon. God now chooses to prove Gideon. You see, Gideon has put God to the test several times and God has come through. And now God says, okay, two can play this game. I'm going to prove you now. We see this in chapter 7, verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jerubal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The spring of Herod is one of the most, the best springs in that area. He really had protection of the best water source and also provided a boundary, if you will, so that the uh, Midianites couldn't come across. And so he fortifies him well. He fortifies himself well. He's got some good water. He's got the food he needs and he's ready to stave off these Midianites. But then God comes to him in verse number two and says, The Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many. What? What do you mean, God? No, they're not. I counted. They're not even close. And God says, yes, they are. And here's why. The Bible says, they're too many for me, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me. You know what God wanted Gideon to realize? What Jonathan realized in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. I love that phrase. We need to get back to a place, church, and God's been good to Grandview. I thank God for these facilities, for the workforce he's given to us. I thank God for what he's doing. But may we still, instead of relying on the great things we've done, may we still say, God, will you still go for, maybe you'll still do a work through us. I know we have all these facilities. I know we have all these great things, all these resources. But may we never forget that God... Will you still go with us? Will you still do something great through us? We need you now more than ever. And Gideon had to learn to depend upon God. Why? Because Israel was going to vaunt themselves. By the way, we've seen this time and time again, haven't we, in the cycle? Isaiah 10, verse 15. Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? As if the rod should shake itself against them that lift it up. You know what? Pride will always destroy us. May we never get too full of ourselves, but instead, may we get too full of Jesus Christ. May we just get full of God and his spirit. Colossians 1.18 And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. The process had gone, begun with prayer, crying out to God. God told him to repent. The great purpose was to turn the nation back to God. But now the Lord is making it plain to Gideon and all these children of Israel that, hey, it's always going to be about me and putting me first in your life and me giving the glory. By the way, when you do that, I'll prosper you, I'll prevail you, I'll cause your enemies to perish, and I'll bring peace to the land. 
See, God isn't selfish in wanting glory. He wants glory so that we take focus off ourselves and on him, and then he likes to bless us when we do that. And so what happens? Well, those who are fearful and afraid, in verse 3, God says they need to go home. By the way, Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, The officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return into his house. Why? Because there's a psychological observation that when fear is present in an army, it causes everyone else to say, well, maybe we can't do this. May I say, fear is a dangerous thing. We need more people to stand up for truth and believe and trust God that he can do it. The Bible says in Isaiah, verse 48, verse 10, or before we get there, the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are too many. They're just too many. I will try them. God says, I'm purging them. I'm purging you. God does the same to us. In Isaiah 48, verse 10, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Maybe you know someone who's being tried right now. God's wanting to do something great through them. I don't, I don't understand trials. My dad and I were talking about this week. We, our family's been through some. You've been through some. I don't understand them. I don't know why. I don't like them. But I do know one thing. We know we can trust God. There's a purpose in them. That God wants to refine us. And God wants to use us for greater things. Job learned this in Job 23.10. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Why? Why does God do this to us? 1 Peter 1.7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So in verse number five, he did what the Lord said. And God started closing, started shrinking the army in verse five and six and verse number seven. And God wanted the committed people, not just the ones who were affected, but the ones who would be zealous for him. He wanted instruments that were not just quantity. He wanted instruments that were quality and would do much for him. I think of the shepherd boy, David, who was put before, uh, called by God to be the next king. What a ruler he was. But I feel like what made David such a great king wasn't necessarily because he was put in place by God, but because he had the character to be a great ruler as well. And I'm thankful today that God wants to, to fill us but he also needs our character, our spiritual discipline, and our willingness to do right. And he blesses that and he works through us. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 24, verse 11, Therefore now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promote thee into great honor, but lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor. Why? Because they did not, they failed to do what God called them to do. How many Christians have not been exalted by God and honored by God because they failed to take that step of faith. I want to encourage you today to take that step of faith in your life. Why? Well, it's going to be hard. Second Timothy 2.3 Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But when we do it, the Bible says it will come forth as gold. I don't know about you, but I, I want to get to heaven one day and not say, God, I tried. But instead say, God, I did it. And I'm glad I did it, because I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Will you choose the ways of God this morning? Or maybe you're being diplomatic. Maybe you're riding the fence. What about what man thinks? Who cares? Remember, when we choose God, he wants to show himself real to us. Second of all, will you choose to allow God to be your savior? Maybe there's someone in the crowd today. That say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I never realized 
what Jesus Christ did for me. He was willing to be my substitution. He was willing to take all my mess, my complexity of sin. He was willing to take all that. Even It was the worst bargain in all the world. He wants to take all that and trade for me eternal life. And I'll just put my faith in trust. He wants to pay for that. I'll gladly let him. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want him to pay my penalty for me. I repent of my way of thinking. And I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I promise you I will not embarrass you. But I want to pray for you if that's you this morning. Say, Pastor Justin, that's me. I want Jesus in my life. I want to accept him. Will you pray for me if that's you? Will you just slip up your hand real quick? Maybe that's you today, all throughout the auditorium. Maybe someone in the balcony. Maybe there's someone down below that would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, that's me. I need Jesus Christ in my life. Maybe there's someone today that you say, you know, I know for sure I'm going to heaven, but I'm really struggling with doubt. Will you pray for me, Pastor Justin, that I will trust God? I'm thankful for his presence, but I need help in a doubt I'm experiencing right now. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you. I see those hands. Maybe there's someone that says, God is choosing to test me. And will you pray for me, Pastor Justin, that I will depend upon him? If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. Maybe there's someone else that would say, you know, Pastor Justin, I'll be honest with you. I've been struggling over choosing the ways of God versus man and who to please. And I learned this morning that it just pays to trust God and please him. Will you pray for me in this area? If that's you, will you slip your hand? Maybe there's someone that would say, Pastor Justin, I'm overwhelmed with something, a burden right now. I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not doubting God, but I'm just, it's just really heavy. And I'd love for you to pray with me. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? God bless you, Lord. You saw the hands, you know the hearts. Lord, I pray you'll be with those who are struggling with things. Or they're, they're buried, maybe. Maybe they're like Gideon. They're hiding behind some things. They don't know if they should choose you or, or if they don't want to offend people. They, they're just kind of right in the fence and nothing's really being done. You're not truly being glorified like you want to be. I pray you'll help them be with those who are struggling or with a burden of their bearing, their doubting. Or may you help them in their doubt. Be with those maybe... They're obeying you, but they want to see your power. May you come through for them. Be with those this morning, maybe, who are, who are struggling with the tests that you're putting in them. Maybe they depend upon you. Be with those who are overwhelmed right now. Just take, take their burden from them, Lord. May they give it to you. We sure do love you, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand to your feet if you can. The piano's playing. This is what we have call our invitation time. Maybe God touched your heart and you say, you know what? I need to come forward and pray. Maybe you'd like one of our pastors to pray with you. Maybe there's someone who needs to take that next step of baptism. The Lord challenged your heart and and you want to sign up for the baptism Sunday or maybe get baptized today. Or maybe there's someone today that would say, you know what? I'm ready to join the church. I've been saved. I've been baptized. I I align with this church and I I want to become part of it. I, I want to make it official today. Let me invite you to come forward. Maybe... There's someone who just, you need someone to pray with you. Our pastoral staff would love to pray with you. You say, I'm just overwhelmed. I have a need. Uh, maybe the Lord's working on my heart. I need to make a decision today. Maybe you'd like to stay, stay in your pew there and that's fine. But let me encourage you to pray for each other today. Maybe you pick someone in the crowd you don't know very well and say, God, please touch their life. Help them. Be with them. God will work in their life. Maybe we just take a minute or two and just reflect on how God's working in our heart and make a decision or two with God.
God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, thank you so much for being faithful. You're a blessing and encouragement. Uh, what a blessing uh, to see each and every one of you every single week. If you're visiting, thank you for coming. Please give us the opportunity to connect with you in the back. We'd love to. Uh, this time we're going to show a video of just a few upcoming events. We want to remind you of I hope you'll be able to be back here tonight. It's going to be a special service. You're not going to miss it. Let's uh, meet here at 5, and then we'll split up after a few minutes there. Let's watch the video today. Good morning and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's service was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for our Level Up teaching and training modules. Mark your calendars for the Churchwide Outreach this Saturday, February 4th at 10.15 a.m. Join us for a delicious breakfast and an opportunity to share your faith in our community. GVCA registration for next school year will be opening to Grandview members and current school families on Monday, February 13th. After three weeks, registration will be open to the public, so be sure to get your registration in as soon as possible. Join us next Sunday, February 5th at 5 p.m. for special speaker Mark Bachman, who is the Eurasia team leader for FBMI. Join us Sunday, February 12th at 10 a.m. for I Love My Church Sunday. This special service will include baptisms, our children's choir, youth choir, and connection group emphasis day. Don't miss this exciting service with something for the whole family. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tonight at 5. Okay, there's a few things on the welcome desk. Maybe you'd like to sign up for our... um Best Year's Club Valentine Banquet, and there's a few other sign-up sheets. I want to encourage you to do that. Please know God loves you, and this pastor loves you. Have a great day. You are dismissed.